Welcome to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm Paul Randack, your host today, and we are welcoming Wendy Smart McCartney. Okay. <laughs> Welcome, Wendy. Thanks for coming today. No problem. Um, as we start off every episode, uh, we like to begin with a little bit, and I use the term bozo, and you've obviously heard me say this a bit. Um, but understanding what sort of your story is, how did you get here? And I guess I should let people know that we're colleagues. We work together um, as therapists mm-hmm. for a, a local treatment center. And um, the the journey that we get to, you know, the journey that we've taken to get here is usually unique and different and has ups and downs and different parts to it. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and your journey, how you got here? Ah. Uh. How long do I have? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, with the, we've got the place till tomorrow morning, but if you could kind of, if you could do it in a couple hours, I think okay. that would be great. I'll try to condense it a little bit. Um, I mean, we do have to be to work tomorrow. So. <laughs> That's true. So I grew up in uh, Modesto, California, and um, I, I was raised in an LDS family. I'm the second oldest of six children. And when I was in high school, we moved here to Salt Lake. Um, my dad works in construction, and that was when everyone was fleeing out of California and moving to Utah. And we came with that rush of people to Salt Lake. And I remember my first day at uh, school here, coming home and saying to my mom, Mom, everyone's white. <laughs> it was it was a major culture shock there for a while um but uh right out of high school i was 19 uh i had just turned 20 actually uh two weeks prior when i got married so i got married very young um and i got married 19 i was i had just turned 20 so i was 19 when i got engaged um and uh, I met my husband at work. I was just like uh, doing some data entry job, and he was a computer programmer. And he was ten years older than me, and he was my first kiss. And oh my! First love, first boyfriend. I was so very naive <laughs> and just sweet and innocent and adorable. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, so that's a big part of my story is, um, I, I think I, I was like trying to find myself through getting married and trying to establish myself in, in adult life, uh, through this marriage. And I didn't know anything about relationships, so I had no idea, um, what, what the signs were to, to look for in a, in a, Lifelong spouse, right? <laughs> Life, yeah. And, and twenty years old, yeah. Yeah. Until death old, do us part. Yes. <laughs> right, right. So, um, I think that's a common dynamic, though, right? Is right. People look to discover their um, adulthood, maybe, or what that means to be an uh-huh. adult by getting into a serious relationship, relationship, right? Right. And depending on what, where, and how you grow up, and what maybe the family. Uh, theological dynamics are then that can mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> marriage is is, is uh, what you need to do right then I'm guessing that's yeah. how you grew up and and yeah that's how I grew up and and 
you know, once you you find someone that you seem to get along with, mm-hmm. and the questions start coming, well, when are you getting married? Yes, of course. So that's what we did. Um, and uh, I figured, well, he's 10 years older, so we should start having kids right away, because I don't want him to be too old when we have kids. So, again, that's what we did. And we, we had my... Um, my first child, my son, Riley, when I was, I think, 21 or 22. Let's see, I was 22 when I had Riley. And then um, my daughter came just 20 months after Riley, so they're pretty close in age. And after having two kids, I was like, well, this is hard. <laughs> Were you still working? In the same? Were you still in the same, same I was working? not working. I was a stay-at-home oh. mom. And... I have a sister who's 19 years younger than me, so I really at that point had three kids because I was watching her full-time while my my parents both worked, so I had the three kids at home with her. She's just three years young, older than my son. Oh, that so makes they're, sense. They're more like siblings. She's my sister, but she's more like a sibling to my kids um, because they... You know, because of the age too. Right? Yeah, the age and that—that's what they my grew sister, by together. the way. My oldest sister, my when I supposedly, you know, <laughs> popped into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, I was brought home from the hospital, and this is the story that my sister tells. Yeah, you came home from the hospital. Mom looked one day, looked at me and handed me <laughs> handed me to her and said, "Your turn." <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. that was that's her story anyway. Yeah. Something similar? Yeah, very similar. My older sister and I um kind of took turns taking care of my youngest sibling. So my youngest there were five of us and the youngest was twelve when Megan was like this surprise caboose to her family. So um all the siblings kind of took turns raising her and, and she was just like the surprise sibling that, you know, we'd been waiting for for years is how it felt. So she kind of um, grew up with my kids, and um, I wasn't working. I wasn't enjoying life. I wasn't thriving, and I struggled with depression and just feeling lost. Mm-hmm. And, like, the days all just kind of run together. And when you have little kids, you're just from the minute you wake up until the minute you go to bed, you're just well, taking care of The them. minute they wake up. The minute they wake up. Right. Yeah. Right. So did you know that, I mean, you said that you were struggling with depression. Did you know you were depressed at the time? Were you, did you identify her? I did. Oh. I knew. So when I was pregnant with Riley, uh, I was eight months along, and I was arrested for shoplifting at Dillard's. And... It was a huge wake-up call to me that something was wrong because that was not who I am. <laughs> that, that, uh, that, that was not in line with how I was That was raised. contradictory to your values and morals. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> there I was shoplifting Christmas presents for my husband at eight oh, months pregnant. Well, it was and, a good thought. Right? Yeah, it was sweet. It was, yeah, it's the thought that counts, right? Yes. Um, so... So as part of that, I was um, court-ordered to do some counseling through Valley Mental Health, and um, I did 20 sessions of group therapy, and as part of that whole process, 
I learned quite a bit about myself and I became very aware that I had some major thinking errors. Um, there was me, this, you know, sweet little stay at home mom sitting around the room with people that were struggling with drug addiction mm -hmm. and severe trauma uh -huh. and major mental health issues. And, um, it was, it was really a, a big moment for me because as part of that process, you have to tell your life story. And I just dreaded it because I'm like, I'm going to get so much crap because my life story is like a walk in the park <laughs> compared to the life stories I've heard. Right. And, um, I don't know if you know the song, Alice's restaurant, I don't. <laughs> don't. but it's out of the sixties. Um, Arlo Guthrie and he's in, he's in, uh, I mean, getting booked for something, or he's in jail, and and uh, he, he and they're all asking him, "What are you in there for?" You know, uh -huh. and they go, "Well, you know, for littering," and, and then he goes, <laughs> "And causing a disturbance." <laughs> yeah, you know, because he wanted to, he didn't, want, he wanted to be accepted, so right. he, he elaborated on his story. So yeah, that's what I imagine. Well, I well, what was so surprising to me was was as I'm telling the story, and I I think my major resentment at the time was. Uh, that my life was so hard because I was taking care of my kids, mm -hmm. right? And um, I got so much compassion from the group, and they really engaged in, in trying to help me brainstorm ways that I could better my life and find more time to take care of myself. And no one pointed out how <laughs> lame I was and how ungrateful I was for, you know, how how good I had it, actually. So... It was a real, it was a real wake up call. So to they me. were were they enabling your story? Is that what you're trying to say? Or? No, they were compassionate. Oh, they were compassionate. And that's what so they surprised had empathy. me. They had empathy, not you know what are you complaining about? I was raped and dropped off in the middle of nowhere on the way to Vegas, and here you sit complaining about how hard your life. But they were actually they engaged and and really tried to help me, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, so I did the the counseling, and that that made me more self aware, more aware of um, that I needed to be grateful, and I I needed to not play the victim, mm -hmm. and I needed to you know um, be more proactive and and taking care of myself and making sure my needs were met and doing things that made me feel better about who I was. So you had awareness of some personal <laughs> self-care. Right? Yeah, yeah. And the victim narrative at and, the same time. And a yeah. little bit of the victim narrative. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I I knew I was going to go back to school at some point, and that was part of my plan of, of doing you know mm -hmm. some self-care. So after my daughter, Mallory, was born, um, I'd... I'd completed my associates at that point at, at Slick before I started having kids. And um, my plan was to go into teaching. And I had done one course. <laughs> and as part of that course, I had to sit in a high school class and observe. And after doing that, I was like, that is not for me. Because I watched, I'd been in, in college long enough that I knew what it was like to be around people who were actually interested in learning mm -hmm. and going back into a high school setting. I was like, this is more like babysitting than anything. Mm. And these, you know, these kids don't really, aren't really interested. And it just no longer like was my calling in life. And I remembered the 
the counseling experience that I'd had. And I was like, well, the most interesting course at that point I'd taken was psychology. So why don't I just take some more psychology classes and major in psychology? Um, and so as I was finishing up my bachelor's degree, I decided I wanted to have more kids. I always thought I'd have four kids and that was like the magic even number for a family. (laughs) Right. And, uh, so as I was, whatever you say, (laughs) that's, that was my story. That was my, that was my narrative I had at the time. And so, um, we started trying to get pregnant. And when I say we, I mean me, um, (laughs) I don't think my husband was, was as invested in this plan for four kids. I think he would have just, you know, been Uh fine to, you know, just have the two, but and he wasn't one of those guys that grinds up the birth control pill and no. puts it in your sandwich or something. No, but he was like, you know, if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, that's fine, too. Um, what a sweet guy. Yeah, he was just willing to go along with whatever. Because uh, I very much wore the pants in that relationship. So we tried to get pregnant and uh, couldn't. And I couldn't figure out why, because Riley and Mallory had come so easily, mm-hmm. almost too easily, that then to go month after month after month and not be pregnant was was really um, hard for me. And I remember one day um, going in the bathroom and realizing I'd started my period and just sitting on the floor in my daughter's bedroom and just crying. And my husband came in from mowing the lawn and he's like, he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I started my period. I'm not pregnant again. And he was like, Oh, and just turned around and walked out. And, um, not big on the empathy and compassion with that (laughs) subject at the moment. Not at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I I just don't think he realized how important it was to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, and maybe that, he was in a way relieved, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm, I'm totally projecting here, okay? But um, you know, relieved, and he wanted to get out of there and uh-huh. have you see him maybe smiling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he. Um, That's called the rescue. If you're listening, <laughs> just FYI. Yeah. So he just he just kind of left me with. You know, I was I was grieving. I, I I I didn't know, you know, how to handle that, and that was to that point. That was probably one of the harder emotional things that I had to deal with within the marriage, and I felt abandoned by him. Um, hmm. So I uh, I I did. Um, something really stupid and so the internet back then was just kind of becoming a thing and there wasn't facebook yet or anything like that and did you have dial up (laughs) we did have we did have and i can't remember if it was dial up at that point um my husband being a programmer we always had like the the good stuff when it came to technology but um my younger brother had started playing for Utah football up at the University of Utah mm-hmm. and I became really invested in that it was it was a really good distraction for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and so I joined this um, website of sports fans for the University of Utah and through that I started chatting with 
another man. Turns out this other man lived very close to me. Mm -hmm. And um, we ended up having an affair. Hmm. And um, it wasn't long into the affair that I... I think it might have just been like a month to six weeks. I... I was so miserable trying to live this dual life and be in both places. And I was so confused and, um, like devoted to my family Mm -hmm. and to all of the value system I'd been raised with that, you, you know, you're in a marriage and you're committed to being in that forever not just for this life, but through time and all eternity. Because I was married in the LDS temple and, and very active in the church at that point. And, um, this may have thrown a slight wrench into some of that. It might guess. have just, yeah, just a little <laughs> just a turn, little, you know. Yeah. Um, yet here I thought I was in love with um, this other man. Mm-hmm. And so confused and so... The, the whole situation was just tearing me. Like, I literally felt like I was being torn apart. Split, split in half. Uh-huh. And so I, I told my husband what had been going on. Um, and he was... I don't think a person could be more shocked because it was so <laughs> not like me. Right. Um, but here again... <laughs> who are you moments? Yeah, yeah, like, you are not who I... The sweet, naive little girl I thought I had married. Um, yeah, here again, I'm sabotaging myself, mm-hmm. which is what I think I'd been doing with the shoplifting. And here's this pattern of me, um, not having a lot of self-awareness, just doing something very destructive. Mm-hmm. So once I revealed that to him and just kind of told him I'm having all of this confusion about who I am and, and this life that I think that I've built for myself, not playing out because we can't get pregnant Mm -hmm. and so he's suddenly very willing to get tested and um find out why we're infertile at this point Uh and he came home from the doctor and um he had zero sperm was the was the result of the testing and so i'm guessing it wasn't from tidy whities because (laughs) (laughs) he's probably wearing other types of no so um something to do with his testosterone mm-hmm. and and he just had some health conditions that that created oh, that yeah. situation sure. so so i i had um gone to my church leader and um you know told on myself and gone through all of the we me and my husband went through all of the steps that they told us to right. go through and um I was trying to get my life back in Mm -hmm. check and we did marriage counseling. Um, I cut off contact with the other, other man. Um, well, that's good. (laughs) That would be again, not wanting to be feel split in half. Yeah. 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 But I still felt split in half. Yeah. I still felt. Really... But it wasn't about the other guy. Why no, you felt I, split in half? I thought it was. Yeah. I, I at the time I really thought that um, I my heart was with this other person, mm-hmm. but I had this obligation to make my family work. So that's what I did. And um, I, as part of this whole process, I had you know I'd finished my bachelor's degree. 
I was a stay-at-home mom again, and I just realized if I'm not going to be having more kids, I've got to create something for myself that I feel passionate about. So um, as part of the counseling, the marriage counseling, and I did some individual counseling for myself, I realized that the counseling process was just something that I felt really passionate about. Mm -hmm. It had re It had been... Through everything I'd gone through at this point, that had been the most helpful to me. Um, surprisingly, not the <laughs> the books that the bishop had me read, but yeah. it was it was actually the counseling uh, helped me figure out what was going on and see these patterns of self destruction sure. I had been doing. And how to become true to you, right? I right. Mean, isn't that what this ultimately right. comes down to? And, and just be a more honest version of myself mm -hmm. to everyone around me because I, I think that's what caused the most pain was feeling like I was lying to people that I cared about. It was just gut-wrenching. I don't recommend it. So I um, heard that Westminster College was starting their counseling program mm -hmm. and so I took the GRE and got right in and started graduate school for a um, I think it was Masters of Professional Psychology, or no, Masters of Professional Counseling at that point. They changed the name of it. Yeah, but, but that led to an L LPC is what uh -huh. it right? And Originally. Now a, a CMHC. Mm -hmm. um, but six weeks into graduate school, I found out I was pregnant. Go, go figure. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> Six weeks. So you're halfway through the first semester is what you're yes. saying. Right? Okay. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> Which was shocking. Um, impossible, according to what I thought. And um, Well, I guess not. <laughs> and probably, I mean, my marriage was still, as much as we were trying to mm -hmm. make it work, it was still really strained. Um, and I, <laughs> I think we had sex maybe once or twice that entire year. And so for me to get pregnant with the medical condition right. and all the infertility stuff, I mean, that child was just meant to be okay. part of my life. Well, it, it, I think there are, you know, it only takes once. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it only takes one little sperm in there, I guess. And that one did the job. Yeah, that, very determined. Yes, and I, I focus. Looked, right. Focus. <laughs> that was yeah. That was a tough one. Yeah. Um. So I I look back at how all of that whole sequence of things now, and I just think if if anything else would have happened in any other pattern, you know, order, I would not be where I am today. Because if I would have gotten pregnant when I wanted to get uh -huh. pregnant. I wouldn't have become a therapist. I, I would have just continued on the path of, you know, being a stay-at-home mom. But out of the, you know, the desire to have more kids and not having that, I looked for something else to be fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And and so, so I really just feel like all of that happened the way it needed to happen. And um, it sounds like a perfect coming together yeah. of forces, almost. If yeah. if you if I, I had a, I, I was talking with a friend yesterday about this idea of of destiny and you know free will and mm -hmm. and those and um, you know choice mm -hmm. what that looks like and he 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 really has a scientific mind and so it's fascinating to hear him talk about you know I, it all comes down to physics for me I mean I can I can predict anything because of physics mm -hmm. though I know that 
there are other forces out there, meaning that I have choices and mm-hmm. I get to choose mm-hmm. what I'm doing. But sometimes it feels like things just kind of come together right. and, and who knows where that momentum started. And we right. were using the bowling, you know, because uh-huh. they only have to hit the pin perfectly right, right. right. and it, everything else will knock down every time if you could do that, every which time. is why, you know, if you're really good at something, it gets really boring after a while. In, in, in Buddhism, they call you know the the beginner's mind, you know, because mm-hmm. you're open to new possibilities and right. new uh, oh, new things. And the expert, well, they think they know it all. Of course, right? <laughs> anyway, right. I, I divert. It gets too comfortable, right? And and so we make these plans for ourselves or have these stories about who we're the path that we're supposed to be on, and uh-huh. and I feel like. That's just hilarious and adorable of us to really uh-huh. think that we can plan out our lives. And uh-huh. and if we could, it, it probably wouldn't go as well as it's going to mm-hmm. without our planning. So, our, And our choices. So, yeah. Per, I mean, how perfectly they all, those all kind of come. You had to make choices all the way along that the way. And each one took you, you know, mm-hmm. just adjusted your direction just right. perfectly. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm... In graduate school, pregnant, and um, finals come around that first semester of finals, and I had a pulmonary embolism. Ended up in the hospital for about a week. Oh, my gosh. So Macy got her name from my doctor, who I feel like saved my life because it was just on a whim that she sent me for this test to find out. So I had this cough and this sharp chest pain, and... And they were sending, I had just called it in and they were leaving for the day and I got a call back from the nurse saying, Dr. Macy wants you to run up and have this test. It's probably not uh, this, but she just wants to make sure. And sure enough, if that's I had, what it was. I'd had a blood clot go to my lungs and they wanted me to get right up to the hospital. And Talk about choices. Wow. Yeah. So... So I got out of a really hard final. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get, so that was the important part. Yes. No. Yeah, that was your life done. You know, so I grateful. I was like, if I had to almost die again, it, it might be worth it. Actually. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So graduate school was hard. It it was one of the hardest things I've done between being pregnant and, and ha- having little kids at home, but also having this really difficult situation with my husband mm-hmm. and trying to piece that together. And the more I learned about counseling and the human mind and, and human behavior, the more I challenged my religion mm-hmm. and um, the repentance process that I'd gone through for stepping outside of my marriage mm-hmm. just left me feeling more ashamed. Mm-hmm. And I didn't ever get to this point of self-forgiveness through all of that. So I just felt really lost yet on this path of, of learning and became just really aware of what I didn't know. And, um, after I had Macy, that's, I had her in May and that summer after I was out of school and, um, we had a new puppy. And so that summer I'm just home with the kids and this puppy. And I feel kind of like I'm getting some momentum and putting my life back together. 
And I found out that my husband was now having an affair with someone he worked with. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> Just when you think things are, are what you need them to be, they're not. They're, again. They're, this is, so, I, 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 I want to go back just a little bit before we, before we go here, because something came up and, and I found myself kind of drifting off a little bit because mm -hmm. I was thinking about it. So, this this may be the problem with education, <laughs> is right. that it contradicts um, dogma. Right. Oh, and, and all and, the schemas. Yes, and, and so all the yeah. schemas we learn around theology and religion get get challenged, and this is why. <laughs> this mm -hmm. is probably why, you know, some religions don't like people studying, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and learning, and, mm -hmm. and those kinds of things because it actually does bring out that you have free will and you have choices right. to decide what's true for you. Right. Um, so thinking how that all kind of fit into this where you were in your life and I mean all the choices you had made to get there and then now you were kind of coming into this place of self actually I would say beginning some self-realization or self-actualization mm -hmm. mm -hmm. of the choices and then here's yeah another whammo what, what? yeah <laughs> guess what yeah. surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah so I felt um relief actually oh okay yeah, because... Well, then you'd already made a decision I, somewhere. Or maybe the decision's not there, but you already knew what you needed to do. Maybe that's a better way to say it. I wish I knew what I needed to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just um, throwing your bone there. I felt <laughs> relief because at that point I was still just so buried in shame oh, for okay. what I had done. And so now... Now it's an even playing field, right? Oh, now I'm yes. not the only one who's screwed up this relationship. And I was I I can remember feeling surprised that I wasn't hurt or jealous or angry about who this other person was. I just was so relieved that I wasn't the only one that had made a, a huge mistake. Um you weren't the only one human, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And I think I'd realized at that point that um, I knew that I just wasn't in love with my spouse anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, it kind of gave me more permission to explore those feelings even more. Okay. So, again, we tried to do counseling. He said he ended that relationship. I said I had ended the other relationship, but... After finding out about this other woman, of course, I turned to the the man that I had cheated with, and mm -hmm. it just became this, like, really sick game of hiding communication with these other people, yet pretending we're in this happy, functioning uh, marriage. And So, um, you know... You know, this is the weird part about that is that, mm -hmm. I mean, at least I've learned being in this field as long as I have now, mm -hmm. that that's not uncommon. It's not. That, that you know, that but it, it's almost when like the, the gay man and, 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 the, and, the, and the straight woman get together and, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, there's sort of yeah. that, yeah, you go yeah, ahead and, you know, ahead. we'll just, yeah, you go off and have sex with your fellas and, uh -huh. you know, come home and everything will be fine. And we'll have this this portrait of a happy family exactly. for everyone yeah. around us. Yeah. And, and that's where I lived, um, for a while. It was 
it was not a healthy place. Um, but I, I'm really good at putting on a happy face and appearing to, you know, have it all together. I'm really good at that. <laughs> Even now. <laughs> I have known you three years. <laughs> yeah, you have known me long enough to maybe have figured that out. Um, so that's what I did. And I just plugged in and, and got through graduate school. And I remember driving. I was driving to pick up my husband from work. And we were going to my graduation reception mm-hmm. up at Westminster and feeling all of this relief coming from, I'm finally graduating. It was a three-year program, and it was really intense. And on my way to get him, he sent me a text that was accidentally sent to me. It was supposed to go to the other woman. Oh, oops. Oops. <laughs> well. Uh, so I pick him up. He gets in the car, and I, I <laughs> reference it. And he was, you know... He had that look on his face like, oh, crap, I'm caught, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving all the way there just thinking, you're just going to get through this. And then, you know, we'll figure it out. Uh-huh. And so I went through graduation and and I just was so tired of working so hard to make my life better, to make it happy and healthy and functioning again and just feeling like i had this black cloud raining on every single happy moment that i Hmm. had created so i packed up my minivan and my three kids and my dog and about a week's worth of clothes and toys and books and the i think it was a day or two after graduation i moved out and went to my parents house Mm -hmm. and i didn't really ever get much else out of the house i just started from you walked scratch. away yeah. i, walked, I away. walked away yeah. um can i ask you something though just how did that i mean feel i mean i'm i'm, I'm you know mm-hmm. believing that there's a, a menagerie of feelings going yeah. on here i mean oh, all, yeah. all the spectrum of you know highs lows and everything kind of mixed together in some strange cocktail um terrifying mm-hmm. i would like to say it was so liberating <laughs> and exciting and I was empowered but <laughs> no i was still just putting on a happy face because my kids really had no idea yeah. what was going on and they didn't know anything about what was how how, how, no. how old was riley at this point riley was 11 okay um 11 they suspect nine. something usually they knew they knew that we had We'd had a few, we didn't ever like have like major fights, but, mm-hmm. um, Riley specifically remembers me crying and threatening to leave. Okay. And, um, he held on to that for a while because when I threatened to leave, he thought I was going to leave him too. Right. right. And, uh, it Cause they didn't a, pro- process leaving. To, leaving meant yeah, yeah, I yeah. would take yeah, you yeah. with me, bud. <laughs> yeah, like, but you, you're coming yeah, in the right. minivan. But when you're 11 or nine or, you know, Right, and so a piece of this whole mess that I left out is um, Garrett has started drinking and and drinking quite a bit and drinking to the point of passing out. And um, He's drinking at home? At home. In front of the kids? Not in front of the kids. He he was very secretive about it, and he would go downstairs and um, 
I had never tasted alcohol before in my life. I didn't know what it smelled like. I was very naive. So as I'm taking a class on substance abuse and <laughs> in, in school to be a counselor, um, I'm piecing together, maybe that's what's going on with Garrett. And sure enough, it was. And there was one time I was at a um, concert with a friend in Las Vegas, and I called home, and Riley says, Mom, we can't get Dad to wake up. And I've got, like, an 18-month-old walking around the house, and he's passed out drunk. And yeah. they had no idea why, and so I, I had to have his parents come over and take care of the kids until he sobered up. And, and, and so... I felt more shame because I felt like I'm the horrible wife that cheated on the husband and drove him to drink and blamed myself for That's his. right. It's all your fault. It's all my fault. <laughs> I'm the horrible whore. He had no and choice. He had no, no accountability this. this is how yeah. he deals with it. And yeah. that was my my belief at the time. So... Um, yeah, they, I uh, Rodney all... Dangerfield, I think, said, you know, you'd drink if you were married to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm sure that was part of Garrett's belief system, too. Like, you know, I deserve this because she's horrible. So, um, so after we left, the drinking got worse. And I didn't leave knowing I was going to end up divorced. I mm -hmm. kind of just left thinking I need some space to get my head on straight and um well and the, the latter is definitely true mm -hmm. the the first part may be a side effect of you right. know you getting your getting your space and getting your head mm -hmm. on straight and going you know mm -hmm. yeah um and i mean here's the universe at work again my practicum and internship placement was that a substance abuse treatment No, <laughs> you don't say that okay. yeah both my practicum and my internship um, the first one was working in outpatient, mm -hmm. um, treatment for substance abuse. And the second was a residential treatment center. Uh, and I ended up getting a full-time job there after I had moved out and graduated. But, uh, I learned a lot very quickly about addiction and I just couldn't, I just didn't feel safe ever leaving my kids with him. And there was one time after I had, I had moved out at this point, he, we would share the kids 50, 50. I always tried to, you know, mm -hmm. be very reasonable about that, but he was dropping off my daughter at my sister's house to watch her while I was at work and he was at work. And just after leaving, he had a seizure in the car and totaled the car and he was still drinking, I'm guessing. He was yeah. still drinking, and he was abusing his anxiety medications, and, I mean, it was just a mess. So the alcohol, and he was on benzos. So uh -huh. Okay. And he got a number of DUIs that, uh -huh. in that period of time. There were times I, he just wouldn't show up when he was supposed to be somewhere, and I, I had the police out looking for him. It was just, it was a horrible time, um, and he was not doing well. He ended up in residential treatment for four months. Um, Obviously not where you were. <laughs> no, no, not where I worked, but a different one. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, we do have boundaries. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, did, did he know at that point how much shame he was in, do you think? I mean, as much as you knew him. 
do, do, do you think that he was aware of the, the level of shame or were you? I mean, you understood mm. the shame for yourself and your yeah. story. It's there. And I don't think he was aware. Okay. Mm-mm. No, I, I think he became aware. But it, one of the so just before he'd gone into residential treatment, I had decided that I was going to make the marriage work again. Oh. And um, kind of this last ditch Aren't you a Girl Scout? I, I want to say Boy Scout. I but, you know. know. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And just, just never want to give up on something, you know. So <laughs> I do know that about you. Yeah. So I, I tried and and uh, reached out to him and wanted to date and stuff. And they, oh, it was just awful. So I mean, that was kind of that was. That was good for me though because I have now I have this like well I did everything I could you, you, <laughs> you know that was that was me just really trying so the closer on the deal was when I would take the kids to visit him in rehab and he would split he would get so many hours on the weekends and he would split the time between yep. me and the kids yeah. and this other woman right okay and that was. Um, that was a good time for me to be yeah. like, okay, I, I've learned everything yeah. I need to learn yeah. here. And You're not going to fix this. I mean, gonna, this mm-hmm. is not, th- th- there's certain things that you can have an effect on yeah. in your life, but it's primarily ourselves mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he'd already made other choices. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So, um, I don't remember how long it was. I think it ended up being almost two years before the divorce was final. But I ended up living with my parents for four years before I could get on my own two feet between paying for child care and starting out in the counseling field is not super lucrative. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And, you yeah. know, I had child support and everything, but I there was just no way I could afford to live on my own, which I think is just a really sad comment on our society, but... It it is really hard to get on your own two feet as a single mom, um, but eventually I was able to to move out, and I would not trade that whole sequence of events in my uh-huh. life for. And I learned so much, and I you know, one of the most interesting things I noticed is how quick people are to um, feel sorry for my kids, and I was very quick to be like. Uh, you know, they're fine. They're, you know, yeah, they have divorced parents, but they're not victims. And this has made them more resilient mm-hmm. and strong and really just like pound that into mm-hmm. my kids that, you know, just because they have divorced parents doesn't mean they're from a quote unquote broken home. Yeah. Um, that drives me crazy. It's one of the worst things it is. that, that w- one of it, the worst term, some mm-hmm. of the worst terminology ever used yeah. in the, at the end of relationships is being coming from a broken home Yeah. because divorce is hopefully trying to fix problems in the Problem. home Absolutely. or at least develop new, a new sense of direction mm-hmm. for those involved in it instead of breaking things. So right. I, I, I I'm passionate about that yeah. too. That term, I, yeah. yeah. So, that's really um, been the case in in our family. Is I I think the divorce actually made us a better family. 
Um, and if you would have told me that <laughs> 10 years ago, yeah. I would have laughed at you. You but... told me I'm crazy, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I would have like reminded you of how important the family unit is. But um, the family unit can look a lot of different ways. Yeah. And that's something that I'm actually quite proud of in my life is now Garrett and I have a very strong, supportive relationship. We are not mm -hmm. married but we take care of each other. We work together. We co-parent well. We've spent every Christmas through all of this mess mm -hmm. together with our kids. And we do a really good job at putting what the kids need above all of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think we could have been more horrible. <laughs> and I mean, we both cheated and there was substance abuse. And I mean, it was as messy as it, I think it can get. But... Um, we were never, um, we were unkind, but we weren't unkind yeah. to each other. There, there was not, I mean, this, when, I, I mean, first of all, thank you for really unpacking this story. Because mm -hmm. it actually is a beautiful story. Mm -hmm. Even though, I mean, and most stories that, that we, everyone has that story of, you know, there's certain kinds of pain mm -hmm. and um, heartache and, um, and shame and all these things that run through it that kind of get us to the point where we realize we're just like everyone else. I mean, everyone's going through this in some form or another, mm -hmm. but that you came out of it and you know, you, you actually were, were able to co-parent in such a way and that the kids came first. There was no, the, probably where you where this, I think breaks down sometimes is when there's abuse between couples and yes. things or yes. with the kids and one of the, yes. the parents that, that, that can cause so many problems. But uh, honestly think, well, I mean, just you and I know the, the what is it now? So nearly 60% of people, you know, experience mm -hmm. infidelity at yeah. some point in their life and whether right. they're married or in a committed relationship, you know? Right. So. And I think that's super under talked about. I, I hear it so frequently. And so I think, well, maybe I hear it all the time because of the work that I do. <laughs> right. But I also hear about it a lot in my personal life with my friends and things like that. So I just know that it's it it's out there and it happens, but it doesn't really get talked about because of there's so much shame around it. There's so much shame. Well, um, that's the story of what it means to be married, which is, yeah. I mean, in itself. And I, 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 I'm going to apologize for the, the terms, but it is a fable. Mm -hmm. Because it's based upon a construct that's very difficult to meet. And yes, a small percentage of people do meet that. And mm -hmm. I, I'm more power to them if that's what mm -hmm. they can do. But the majority of human beings struggle with the dynamic of mm -hmm. what that represents. And I don't think it has to be an end-all for a marriage. I, I, I know a lot of people that work through it. Uh -huh. um, it just wasn't the way my, my relationship <laughs> right. worked out. Um <laughs> Well, but it was just one of the layers of, of yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, that's how I became a therapist. <laughs> and it's super ironic because of all of the substance abuse, um, you know, kind of filtered through my life. But um, I, I am so passionate about the work that I do. I think you know, in large part because of what I've been through. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I love working with the families of, of my clients, mm. um, because I really feel like I, I understand 
on a lot of levels, but I, I, I don't let that mean that I, you know, take their side in any way. I, I, and I appreciate what my husband was going through, um, more now because of all of the work that I've done with all of the clients. I I just have this multifaceted perspective to the situation that I'm so grateful for. Do you think there's, I mean, this is what I've been noticing and I don't know if I'm accurate. So I'll ask, I'll ask you is that I noticed there's a sort of therapeutic empathy and then there's human empathy. Yes. There's a difference. So yes, human empathy is, is when I've actually experienced what my friend mm-hmm. or my client or, or whatever's going through mm-hmm. or my family member. And therapeutic empathy is an empathy I develop by, you know, becoming a, a good therapist with healthy mm-hmm. boundaries, but being able to put myself in their shoes, mm-hmm. you know, and understand it the best I can. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that that's Ab- true? Absolutely. Okay. And just... The, the more I work with, with people at all, the, the, I think that therapeutic empathy comes along the lines of everyone is just doing the best that they can. Uh-huh. And, you know, if I was walking in their shoes, I would not be doing any better. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why they're making the choices that they're making as harmful as they may seem to someone on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. That's the best that they can do, and I I know without a doubt I couldn't do better than they're sure. doing. Yeah, yeah. So, well, developing. And I mean, I I also like you love family therapy. I also actually really enjoy couples counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, though some days I wonder why, um, but I, <laughs> there's something about it I really love. Um, yeah. But understanding within a family system of, of doing your best to level the playing field for everyone, mm-hmm. um, it's it's probably one of the the biggest challenges I know. Uh, and and you and I obviously share um, uh, you know similar passion when it comes to working with families um, because of our interest in in developing um, tools and, and programming for families. So mm-hmm. um, I, I I I can. I can relate to that that gratitude that that comes from seeing sort of the awareness and the change comes so that mm-hmm. not just treating the individual but having the family develop a better system of communication, mm-hmm. emotional regulation, and accountability mm-hmm. really makes really makes what I think why you know what, why I'm in working in this field as well so yeah no, no yeah, doubt. and if there's ever anything that affects my quality of life. Mm-hmm. It's the relationships that I'm in and how well they're functioning. Yeah. And that's, I mean, so evident in my history. Yeah. So true. Just mm-hmm. for, the, the, yeah. I think that applies to just about everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So with all of that, I'm going to jump <laughs> a little bit in because we kind of we kind of got into it. I mean, you kind of brought this up a couple of times, but you know the, the dynamics of... Um, the, the terms the the fixer and the saboteur and um, <laughs> and yes. and you you definitely ex, you know shared multiple roles and I think you know I I know sometimes it becomes black and white thinking around this that you know there's the addict which is often the saboteur and there's the the codependent which is the fixer but that's not reality I mean people yeah. are not that it's not that black and white and the lines aren't that perfectly drawn it's like mm-hmm. well, I really look at it as you know trying to do like draw with crayons in the dark you know mm-hmm. it's going to be all over the place and the mm-hmm. roles change so as you you kind of express so much relational dynamics in there when do you notice the difference between those roles that you play and how would you say that that came about when you were when do you notice that you were being more of a fixer i mean 
I can, I mean, I just heard you tell the story at the end there. You know, I wanted to see if I could make this work one last time. Yeah, you know? there, there's me trying to fix things, yeah. right? And yeah. and believing that I can I can rescue him from this addiction. Because now <laughs> I know everything yeah, right. about addiction, right? <laughs> like I two went years. To, I yeah. went to school, right? Oh, and gosh. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think, I think in general, and if you ask my mom, she'd totally agree. We just talked about this yesterday. But I tend to be the fixer. Mm-hmm. I try to save people from themselves i'm the enabler i'm the 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 person that has a hard time just sitting back and watching someone i love struggle Uh that's really hard for me yet again i'm the saboteur as well like i sabotage myself all the time i think it's um this pattern of not being willing to ask for help Uh uh-huh yeah, I'm terrible at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I, I just that, just that is, that is try a little to theme. That is a little pushing theme. and pushing and pushing myself and and letting stuff pile on my plate, and then um, <laughs> I just reach a maximum amount of crap I can mm-hmm. handle, and I I just kind of fall apart, and that's there's where my sabotage yeah. comes in. Versus having healthier boundaries all along, I just kind of yeah. That's that's up. really beautifully said. That I I, I I notice I'm trying to fix all the things around me. You <laughs> For know, a little right, too right, long. Right. Yeah, and then but I, I'm really good at sabotaging <laughs> myself, myself, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. that's my pattern. That's how I I toggle back and forth between those two roles. Hmm. But I definitely do. So in, in in life generally, I mean, as you've kind of gone through all this, has has there been someone there that sort of is, has been sort of uh, a mentor and a stalwart for you in, in some way, you know, kind of? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my parents are definitely uh, the rock in my life. Yeah. Um, and... Our relationship has had to change as I'm no longer active in the religion that they raised me mm-hmm. in, and that caused a lot of. It continues to cause a lot of heartache for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have been the most supportive of me, mm-hmm. regardless of my choices, and have never made me feel judged for my mistakes Mm -hmm. uh and and so they're they're the most consistent example i have of what love and sacrifice should and can look like um so if i try to be like anyone or look to anyone as a good example of Mm -hmm. what of what i am you know trying to grow towards it would it would be both my mom and my dad for different ways yeah yeah that was my guess yeah, because I, I I sort of hear the way you you talk about your parents, mm-hmm. yeah. and you hold they're them not they're such... not perfect. I hold them on a pedestal because yeah. they deserve to be on that pedestal. They're they're definitely not perfect. They're very you know they're human human. Yes, yeah, yeah. and I see their their humanness <laughs> all the time. But <laughs> um, despite that, they're just the most generous, selfless um, people I have. That. Mm. Yeah, as an example in my life. And I'm so grateful that my kids have them, too. 
So with that, that was just a nice little turn. We can we can do that and turn here to talk about religion and God and those things. Oh, just briefly. Okay, but um, the or it doesn't have to be briefly. It can be whatever it is. But the <laughs> this is that that part that I think is beautiful about humanity and 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 being fallible and, and making mistakes and mm-hmm. the folly of it. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. why I kind of like you know the term just another bozo on the bus. It's not to be degrading in any way to humanity, but to, sh- the t- but to say that we all share this, mm-hmm. no matter how serious we get about life or how serious it gets at times. And it does. There, there are things that need to be dealt with in a very you know, straightforward, rational way. Um, but the truth is, we are gonna, everyone is going to fall down at times, mm-hmm. and everyone's going to make poor choices. Mm-hmm. And that's just reality. Mm-hmm. So the, that we, even though, like, Parents, I would, you know, in my life, um, I have, uh, I have a, a few people that have, that have been really um, there for as long as I remember. My sister, who I supposedly got handed off to, mm-hmm. um, to, I mean, she's been there forever, as for long as I know. Um, and, um, and then, you know, there's some p- other people I've met along the way that I, I've noticed that they, I, there's something they emulated, something that I that seemed to speak to something inside myself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That. Um, that uh, I resonated with that, and I said that's something that I want to model or live up to. And I think of those as mentors. The two of them, the two men that that helped me because I didn't, I grew up without a father. Um, both had passed, but I look back on that on those times, and I think, and they were these guys were fumbling around all over the place. But there was something they they were true. To, they did their best to be true to themselves, and that that stood out. And they modeled that that you know honor yourself too. Yeah. I didn't quite understand the self-care part back then, but as I do now, <laughs> right. oh, and I should make a confession that I do have a uh, self-care coach. Anyway, um, <laughs> they're just sitting here right at the moment. Um, I so, try. Anyway. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not, and you, but you don't try to fix me. So thank you. Um, the the idea of spirituality or religion, and and you saying that the you know this inherent. Um, conflict, which created some some struggles for you and, mm-hmm. and, and, and with your family, this is not a this is no, this is a normal dynamic in in any family situation where the children eventually don't foreclose on the family systems and belief systems. And I, I wonder now, knowing you know that you did, you did grow up in a very um, strong. Um, uh, a re- a religious family, or at least have followed certain, you know, doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, where you, where that is for you today? What, what? How do you relate to that, <laughs> or, or do you? <laughs> I think it's just always going to be a work in progress, and that's something I've had to accept in my life. Uh-huh. So being raised religious, it's like you always have the answers to every question that you could possibly think of about life and what comes after life and why everything is what it is and meaning and all of this is just it's written down and it's taught to you and you have all the answers and stepping away from religion was so hard I realized because now I don't have all of the answers and I just have a lot of questions and I've had to just accept that I'm okay not having answers Mm -hmm. And I'm okay sitting with these questions and just allowing them to not be answered. Um, 
and that's that's kind of how I've raised my children. Mm-hmm. It's not so much that we don't believe the LDS religion mm-hmm. or or any religion could be true. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm okay if it is. And I have no negative feeling yes. towards it. I, I see yeah. that it creates a lot of really healthy, positive things for people. And yes. and if it works for someone, then great. I'm so thrilled for you. It did not work for me, and it does not embrace some of the values that I have. Um, for example, their their stance against homosexuality uh-huh. was a really hard one for me to swallow. Um, I just feel like if there is a God, and I tend to believe that there is, mm-hmm. um, I don't think he would create all of this beautiful diversity to then expect us to fit into this <laughs> cookie cutter way of life <laughs> and get mad at us for, you know, sucking at that. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. But I mean, first of all, why, why even create gender? <laughs> right. If, you know, if, if you just have to be this certain way. So, um, yeah, I, I've just kind of taken the stance of being curious and being in allowance with, with where I'm at in this process and learning. And, um, I've, I've found that doing things out of my own moral compass Mm -hmm. and, and being in integrity with myself versus doing things because there's this, you know, this God that I'm going to be judged for my behaviors has just really allowed me to find more joy in having integrity and and being honest with myself and others versus doing it for someone else. Well, in that, so, I mean, I guess the next uh, question I'm curious of, and I I sometimes think I I know the answer when I I talk with people that I've known for a while, is, you know, how do you feel like you do connect to spirit or you know, um, some type of, um, uh, interestingly, I would, I would say, you know, through integrity Oh, okay. and, 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 you know, treating myself well and, and having these standards for myself, mm-hmm. I, I feel more connected to me I love that. versus, um, having, you know, making mistakes and shaming myself. I, I feel like that's the opposite of spirituality it, mm-hmm. is like darkening your spirit or, you know, judging or criticizing yourself mm-hmm. or, you know, putting yourself down for these mistakes that you're bound to make. I feel like that pulls you away from any kind of spiritual connection that you can have. I'm, I'm really glad you, you said that. And, and at least brought this this up this idea of connecting through spirit through ourselves mm-hmm. and our own integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having this discussion the other day. As I said, you know, when did when did the idea of spirituality or God or goddess or whatever mm-hmm. word you want to use when did it, when did it get separated from us? When because it wasn't always that way. There were times where we were all connected as uh, together and and to this. Uh, this force in the universe, if you mm-hmm. want to use the word God or or you know omnipresent um, mm-hmm. being or something like that, that was part of us instead of something separated. And was it you know what, at what point did it happen? It's a few thousand years ago, and I don't want to just 
throw the Christians under the bus necessarily um, with this because that it's so easy to to do because um, <laughs> um, they they kind of I mean the Christians kind of grabbed onto everyone else's right. stuff and kind of made right. made it you know kind of did a really nice you know clay little clay and from this and slip from that and mm-hmm. you know glaze from that and created with a beautiful container mm-hmm. um, for the most part mm-hmm. and 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 then you know people fill that container with all kinds of different things. But somehow we became separate from the container. It's almost as if, you know, we have to look. It's the idea of worship. And, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but this idea of, of how you presented this, finding that spiritual nature within you mm-hmm. ha- is, is, is linked to your ability to be integrous mm-hmm. or live in integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's where you find that. And I agree wholeheartedly that that's... That's my path too. I, I find myself, you know, that when I'm, I, and you know, a little bit about my um, my uh, desert uh, spiritual mm-hmm. journeys that I, I do, um, and I find that that that's just I have the same kind of experience. Whether I'm, you know, it can, it can happen anywhere, but that's where I learned to connect to it, and it was in me the whole time. And I just right. kept. It wasn't something I had to discover or get to. I didn't have to get to it. Mm-hmm. It was here the whole time. Mm-hmm. And is that? Kind of what you experienced too? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. And the more honest you are with yourself, the more you're connected to it. Yeah. 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 It's not really something you have to do or, or say or search for. It's just, it's just there. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Okay. All right. Um, let's, uh, how, how do you uh, connect to your. Zen spot. How do you how do you get to that place? What do you what do you like to do or I, be? Because it's being's important too. Yeah, I'm a I'm a trail person. I like to hike. I like to get up on the trail and just be in the mountains, sweating and and working hard and and get to somewhere where I feel accomplished and I you know I feel distance from all the stressors of life and feel like I'm doing something good for myself uh-huh. while, you know, being surrounded by nature and just really, that's my, that's my Zen moments happen when I'm out hiking or yeah. trail running or just, you know, getting out there and, and feeling my feet against the dirt and yes. all of that. Yeah. Which is so funny to me because I did not grow up, <laughs> not a hiker or camper kind of you know, uh, tells, girl, but, but, you but there, there I am. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that's how I do it. I, um, I just signed up to do the Ragnar Zion trail. Congratulations. Running. Yeah. That's... So, so I'm finding more ways to incorporate it in, into my life and it, it's actually, it's really fun right yeah. now. Yeah. That's really cool. That's yeah. that, that, I, 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 uh, Definitely, personally, relate relate to that as well. Except, I, I'm not as uh, I have to be honest. I'm not as active as you are. Um, all right, so I think we'll kind of get to the the end here and talk a little bit about music and oh, you know, okay. I, I did tell you we were gonna yeah, we're gonna touch upon talk this. About music. Yeah, what and and those of, those of you who've been listening to the, the last you know few uh, podcasts, I, I do ask this question of, of my guests: what 
if there is a playlist for life or if you know there was a celebration and and I will say that uh, Wendy and I talked before we started today <laughs> and then when I said I was going to ask this question and she brought up a really good point that um that I sometimes I think forget but I, I know that when when I'm when I'm past or transitioned or whatever word you know it gets used um that it's whatever happens here is really not, <laughs> not not up to me at all. Yeah. It's, it's not. not yeah. <coughs> I've I've basically turned. I've let go of that. I've I've released that. Uh-huh. But the idea of having a playlist and, 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 and my my kids joke about it because you know they uh, sometimes dad what's on your uh, what's on but you say what's on your funeral playlist and you know any any new additions I always thought that was kind of funny maybe a little dark humor but they they are my kids. Um, <laughs> But if you were, if you, there was any songs, one or two that you think would, um, or more if you want, but that would be representational of of Wendy. Um, well, when you asked me that, I brought up my my Spotify playlist, uh-huh. um, and so some of the my my go to songs uh-huh. in life that that I can always go. It's funny because music really represents like periods in your life and if you if i listen to certain songs it takes me right back emotionally to where i was yeah and there's a few songs like when i was going through my divorce that i can i can really just pull up that whole experience very quickly with the song but some of my music is powerful yeah some of my uh favorites in life are with or without you by you too Great song. And should I stay or should I go? By the Clash, clash, yes. Tainted Love by Soft Cell. (laughs) Blister in the Sun. Violet Femmes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, They're coming to Red Butte. Are they really? Uh, So yeah, that would that those definitely are are all. You know, they all speak to me and, and are songs that I can just rock out to anytime in the car and feel more connected to something joyful. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Thank you so much. Um, thanks for coming today. Yeah. I really Thank appreciate you for having me. And, this has been um, fun. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> we will go out with, as we do every week, the little Joan Osborne. Talk to you guys soon.